Well, praise the Lord this morning. Um, I said it in Sunday school, I'll say it again. I am excited that our Stand Firm Conference, um, which is now only 18 days away, so less than three weeks, but who's counting anyway, right? Um, I am so looking forward to the kickoff on Friday night, February 9th at 7 p.m. As the date approaches, I get more excited. As my wife likes to say, I am obsessed. I said it could be worse, right? But you know what I'm excited about? I'm not excited for the event for the event's sake. I want, I, I want to be crystal clear with this. That's not what I'm excited about. I am excited because I believe that the Lord God is going to do a work. I believe that the Lord God is going to do a mighty move of God, regardless of how many are there. By the way, it's 109. Let's pray that we get 110 today. But who's counting anyway? <laughs> but I am really, really praying, and I am believing God for a genuine, spontaneous, authentic move of God. That's what I'm believing God for. That's what has me excited. And I believe that God is preparing our church through the Tuesday night Bible studies, through the Wednesday night prayer meetings, through Sunday school, and through the teachings on Sunday. I believe that God is plowing the ground. He is making our hearts fertile. And as I said, every message and every Sunday school and every Tuesday night and every Wednesday night until that day is about preparing our hearts to receive. And what is it that I'm expecting? What is it that I'm praying for? Well, I'm praying for genuine revival. Genuine revival. Now, I know some people hear revival, and they think of a lot of the excesses that are associated with supposed revivals. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about a move of God where the Spirit of God descends upon His people, and we are forever changed, permanently. Permanent, not temporal. We don't leave there saying, oh boy, what a good experience, and we go back to doing all the same things we did before. Now, I believe this with all of my heart, and I know that some of you believe that. I know some of you on Wednesday night are in agreement, and you guys are coming together, and we are praying together, and we are believing God together for that. Why? Because it is essential. It is something that needs to take place. The church needs to be moved by God once again. That's all it is, straight and simple. We need to be moved by God. True revival, true revival involves an experience of God's holiness, where God's holiness is revealed. We stand in the light of God's holiness. We recognize our own sinfulness, and it produces repentance, restoration, the unbelievers are pierced to the heart and they are saved. And it is not merely, and I want to make this point, it is not merely getting a belief system. No, that's not what revival is. Revival is a moving of the heart. It's a stirring of the heart whereby the people of God are changed. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his excellent book, Revival, one of the top ten, I believe, we are meant to know Him, not simply believe and to go on holding to our belief 
and take it by faith. What does he mean? He means that believers are called to experience God. That we may know Him. That's what the Apostle Paul said, that I may know Him and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed even unto His death. And the sad thing is in the church, most people do not experience God. They don't experience God. They don't experience the Holy Spirit. These are supernatural things. And instead, what it becomes is just simple, dead orthodoxy. That's what it becomes. It becomes dead orthodoxy. Listen, church, there must be a desperation for God. Are we not in a desperate hour of human history? Come on. We're in a desperate hour. In a desperate hour, we should become desperate for God. Listen to the words of the psalmist. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear, uh, appear before my God? As the deer who is being hunted and is running through the woods, as he eventually comes to a place where he pants for the water brook. He's broken. He's thirsty. He needs to be refreshed. This is what the psalmist is saying. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after thee, O God. I thirst for thee. The strongest human emotion, the strongest physiological response is thirst. And the psalmist says, I thirst for thee, O God. I thirst for thee. Desperateness, hunger, and thirst are three characteristics a church needs. And let me say something. It's what our church needs. Right? This isn't for others. Amen. This is for us. Amen. And let me say something else. It's not merely for you, it's for me. I thirst after God. Today I want to explore the Scripture. And I want to focus on one man, one man, who was desperate, who had a desperation for God. That man's name is Bartimaeus. And I pray that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our own spiritual blindness and pierces our heart to cry out to God for revival. That our Lord Jesus Christ would open our hearts. That He would open our hearts and prepare us for revival. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 46 through 52. 46 through 52, right? And I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you have your notes, take out your notes. If you underline in your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. Let me give you a little bit of background to the text. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar that Jesus encounters along the road. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes, he is sitting along the road. His name Bartimaeus is Aramaic. Bartimaeus simply means Bar, son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. That's all it means. That's all we know about Bartimaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. He's blind. Right? 
And to be blind beggar in that first century Palestine was not a good deal. You were relegated to begging. You couldn't hold a job. You couldn't do anything. Usually you were destitute. You were poor. And what you wore was basically about all that you had. And it is this blind Bartimaeus that will eventually see Christ clearer than all the other people around them who had eyesight. And it is this blind beggar, this blind beggar, whose desperation for Christ results in a move of the Holy Spirit that changes his entire life. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write down this word. Desperation. Desperation. And we're going to see that this blind beggar sitting beside the road before encountering Jesus, and after his encounter with Jesus, this blind beggar will follow Jesus on the road. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, uh, and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. So Jesus, Jesus is, is heading to Jerusalem, right? He's coming out of Jericho. And he, Jericho was about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem, about five miles from the Jordan River. And Jesus is, is heading to Jerusalem. That's where he's going. And as Jesus is leaving the city of Jericho, there is a blind man sitting by the road. I want you to, I want you to note, he was sitting by the road. Sitting by the road. And we're introduced to Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. As I mentioned, he's a blind man. He's forced to beg for money to live. And what's the first thing we see? The first thing we see is a blind man sitting by the road. Why is he sitting? Because he's blind. He's not going to be walking along the road. He would be walking into buildings and walking into other people. It's a very interesting thing. He's blind physically, and that blindness causes him to be idle. So someone would probably lead him to the road. Why would they lead him to the road? Because that's where people would pass. People would pass, and he would have an opportunity to say, hey, you got any spare change? You know, can you have mercy on a, a, on a blind man that's here? You know, when people are spiritually blind, they're the same way. When people are spiritually blind, they are immobile. They are idle. They are beside the road. Just as blind Bartimaeus was sitting on the side of the road, right? And so he's sitting there. And not only that, but it's also interesting to note that not only is he sitting there because he can't see, but what we also see here is a man who has been pushed to the side by society. Another way to say it, he's been marginalized. He's of no value. As a matter of fact, during the first century, people who had an illness of, of uh, either a deformity or cripple or any kind of illness, it was commonly thought in first century Judaism 
that they were sick because someone sinned. Either they sinned, their parents sinned, even their grandparents had sinned. So there wasn't empathy, and there certainly wasn't sympathy. Those that were with illness were treated harshly, to be perfectly honest. Nobody felt sorry for a blind man sitting. It was a common sight all over the place. Right? So you had this marginalized, insignificant person. You know, a wonderful thing about the gospel and a wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is he doesn't go to the wealthy and the famous. Christ doesn't run to those that have the most amount of money or the most amount of influence. But Christ always has empathy and sympathy for the discarded of society. And let me tell you what the church is. You want to know what the true church of Jesus Christ really is? The true church of Jesus Christ is the wretched refuse of the world. We are the discarded of the world. We are the insignificant of the world. Are there not many noble, many elite that are here? No. We're the ordinary. And for many of us, life marginalizes us. We, we get pushed to the side. Here is a man that is physically blind. But by the end of this narrative, I want you to know this, at the end of this narrative, after his encounter with Jesus, Bartimaeus is not sitting. At the end of this narrative, Bartimaeus is on the road and he's following Jesus Christ. And you know what? Many who profess faith in Christ, who profess faith in Christ, many are sitting by the road and not on the road following Jesus. Listen, we got to get on the road to follow Jesus for God to use us. And we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Look at verse 47. Now the speaking of Bartimaeus. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I love what one commentator said about this particular passage. The commentator wrote this, what Bartimaeus lacked in eyesight, he makes up in insight. I love that. I think that's, that's very smart. In verse 44, it says that Jesus was coming with his disciples and a great multitude was following him, right? And you don't have to see a crowd to know that a crowd is near, right? You can hear a crowd. So he's hearing this commotion. There's a multitude following Jesus. It's not because it's rush hour. The multitude is following Jesus because they heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They knew that someone special was in their presence. And you can only imagine if you're sitting by the road what that commotion was doing. And Bartimaeus sitting there is just thinking to himself, oh, this is, maybe he knew about Jesus. Maybe he said, oh, I heard about this prophet that heals the blind and gives, causes the lame to walk. Maybe he heard about him. Maybe he thought he was an actual prophet. Maybe he thought he was the Messiah. But we do know something that we see here. 
It says, and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want to I want to call your attention to a few words in this verse that add additional clarity. Number one, he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, right? He must have had something. And what we see in Bartimaeus, when he heard about Christ, we see a desperation in Bartimaeus. A desperation, right? He heard it's Jesus. What did he do in response to to that he cries out now the greek word there for the word cry means to shriek it's used as the cry of the raven or the cry of a crow it is this piercing shrieking sound and I believe that the Holy Spirit uses this specifically to, to point out to us that Bartimaeus was not simply saying, Jesus over here, Jesus over here, Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, you have any spare change? Jesus, can you give me my eyesight? No. Bartimaeus was desperate for Christ. Son of David! Have mercy on me! Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He screams and he cries out of desperation for Christ. This is deep, deep, deep emotional crying from the bottom of one's heart. This is a desperate cry. Bartimaeus is crying out to be heard by the Lord and for the Lord to have mercy on him. And notice what he cries. Son of David. Now we get a little bit more insight into Bartimaeus. He didn't cry out, hey Jesus. He cried out, son of David. A direct messianic term. Now we see that Bartimaeus, that this Jesus is not the ordinary and notice he's crying out to him, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Church, we can learn a lot about Bartimaeus and his response when Jesus passed by. Let me ask a question. When, when was the last time you cried out from the depths of your soul, you cried out to Jesus the Lord to be heard by God? To be heard by God. And I'm not speaking about telling God what you need or what you think you want, but a desire and a determination and a desperation for the presence of God. I wish I could take a poll, honestly, and I'm not asking you to head nod or show any response to this. But I wonder how many believe that we can experience the presence of God. You know, theologically we may say, I believe that. But how many do we, how many of us truly believe and seek God in that manner? Listen, I'm not talking about 
artificial experience. I want to be crystal clear here. Everybody with me? I'm not talking about cheap thrill. I'm not talking about running around a circle in the church, jumping up and saying hallelujah. I'm talking about when you're alone with God, alone with God in prayer, and you seek God, and you know what? Your prayer is not enough, and you want more of God, and you desire that God would hear you. You desire that the Lord would come down and manifest His presence. I'm very conservative in my theology, but I'll tell you what, I'm never putting God in a box and telling people what God does this and He doesn't do that. The same God that spoke the worlds into existence today is our God. He is the same. The same Christ that walked before Bartimaeus is the same Christ yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe the Word of God. That God will reveal Himself to those who diligently seek Him. I believe the Word of God that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. What is He going to reward them with? What is He going to give us? A free Amazon gift card? He's going to reward us with Himself. With the presence of Himself. But here's the problem. The problem is, many don't desire it. Many are not desperate for God. Many say, I know the Bible. I go to church on Sunday. I go to Tuesday night Bible study. I go to Wednesday night. Hey, I'm all good. I'm all good with God. God's good with me. I'm good with Him. Listen, can I say something? Christianity is not intellectualism. You understand what I'm saying? Christianity is to experience Christ, to experience God, to know the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can have all the Bible knowledge that you want. You can have all the Bible knowledge that you want and may not know anything about the Lord. In 2 Timothy 3.7, I believe that Tim, you don't have to turn there, I believe Timothy says, speaking of the church in latter times, and he talks about the poor condition of the church, and he says this, which is chilling, which is chilling. Always learning and learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Listen to what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, we ask His blessings on what we are doing, but oh, how often do we seek Him Himself? God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives are what make true Christianity. It is men who have sought that who have always been used of God in revival. You know what led me? Uh, you know what led me to the ministry? What was the initial thing? I'm going to tell you. With dead, stale orthodoxy. That's what led me to the ministry. Father, where is the power? Where is the Holy Ghost power? 
I was watching men preach who had no passion, no enthusiasm for the things of God. And I often wonder, do they actually believe what they're saying? And I believe that intellectually they did. But did they know God? And then because of God's great grace in my life, God led me to various men and women, I might add, who did know God. And I was saying, why isn't the rest of the church this way? And I put myself in the way and I said, Father, what could I do? And the rest, God did. But let me tell you something, church. I'm going to go down dying. And if it is the last words on my life, I am believing God for a move of His presence and His spirits here. I am believing it. I am believing it. I'm excited for this conference for one reason. I'm believing God is going to move. And if He's not going to move, let's just chuck the whole thing. We don't need to hear more people pontificate upon the Word of God. I hate to say it. We need anointed men of God to come in and preach. What will it take for us to desire and to be desperate for the Lord God? When will we cry out for Jesus for His presence? Listen, the Word of God does not tell us this. Listen, I want you to hear this clearly. The Word of God does not say... It is not by might nor my power, but by how much theology you know. That's not what the Word of God says. And the Word of God doesn't say it is not by might nor by power, but how much you, you go to church, how often you go to church. The Word of God doesn't say that. What does the Word of God say? It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. We need to be those people. By thy spirit, saith the Lord. Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David. There it is, a straightforward messianic term. Bartimaeus knows that someone special is in the midst. Look at verse 48. And what happened when Bartimaeus was crying out? Verse 48. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy. Listen, this is so true. Look at how the crowd did not want Jesus to hear the cry of Bartimaeus. Hey, you dirty beggar, you blind man, be quiet. Be silenced. That word sternly, that means they rebuked him. They were telling him, stop, enough. I'm sick and tired of hearing your screaming out there. But notice Bartimaeus. He will not be deterred. And he cries out with even greater intensity to the son of David to have mercy. Why? Because Bartimaeus is desperate for Jesus. He's desperate for Jesus. And he desires Jesus' power in his life. You know, many times when we start speaking about revival and genuine, spontaneous, authentic move of God, many in the church immediately spring up to rebuke that kind of talk. Isn't that crazy? They spring up to rebuke it. 
Well, God doesn't work. I remember one time I was in a prayer meeting. This was many years ago. I was in a prayer meeting, and we were just praying, and you guys know how I pray. And there were other brothers there, and we were all coming together to prayer. And this guy who came for the prayer meeting for the first time in the middle of the prayer meeting says, Stop! 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 He said, That's, God doesn't hear that. That's all noise. And I said, what's this guy's problem? Seriously, what is this guy's problem? And he didn't want to hear about praying with some sense of enthusiasm and praying the promises of God and apprehending them by faith. No, he went into his stale, cold, orthodox prayer. When you start speaking about a move of God, many, many, many go, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones again says this you will find that they are correct and orthodox, meaning they have a good position doctrinally. But there is an element of contentment about it because they not only believe these things, but are satisfied with themselves. They are self satisfied. You want to know when spiritual weakness begins? You want to know when spiritual weakness begins? When you're content in who you are before Christ. When you no longer desire more. Do you know that Christ never has an end to the increase that He gives believers? Do you know that Christ will constantly be filling us and filling us? Do you know that He who began a good work in you will continue to do so until the day of Jesus Christ? Do you know if we ask God for more, you know what He does? He gives more. Delight thyself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of the heart. And you know my definition on that. That desire, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what is the desire of your heart? It's not a new Audi 5000. It's not a new car. It's not a new Cadillac. It's not a new house. It's not a new job. If you delight yourself in the Lord, the desire of your heart is, in fact, the Lord. So delight thyself in the Lord, and He will give you desire. Hey, how many of you want to delight yourself in the Lord so that the Lord is going to give you more of the Lord? I do. I do. Church, we need to be like Bartimaeus. No, the world is telling us today, shut up. Tone it down. You people are too orthodox. You're too this. You're too that. Oh, you got to be inclusive and welcoming and all. Get out of here. <laughs> we need more Christ. The glory of Christ needs to fill the church yet again. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be people who when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it comes off of our tongues with authority that only comes from the Holy Spirit. That when we speak the gospel, men and women are convicted. Man, where are the conversions? Where are the conversions today? People can sit in church week after week after week and be unmoved. That's not a sign of spirituality. That's a sign of deadness. We need to be as Bartimaeus. 
We need to cry out louder. We need to shriek. Why? Because we're desperate for Jesus. Listen to the word of God. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man what? This poor man cried. And the Lord heard. And saved him out of all his troubles. Psalm 34, 12. The righteous cry. And the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. What was the result of Bartimaeus' crying? Bartimaeus gets a righteous response. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, arise. He is calling you. Now I want you, here's another word I want you to write down now. And Jesus stopped. If you got your Bible, you're underlining in your Bible, I want you to circle that, underline it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. But these are amazing words. Jesus stopped. What caused Jesus to stop right in his tracks? There was all this noise, commotion from many people around, but something caused Jesus to stop. What was it? I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the cry of faith. It was the cry of faith. The cry of faith came from the blind, discarded, marginalized, blind beggar, Bartimaeus. And let me tell you something, church. Our Lord Jesus always stops for the cry of faith. Jesus hears the cry of faith and calls to the one crying out. Now listen, church. I want to put a challenge before you. I just want to paint a scenario for you. Church, imagine if you would that we as a church with one voice and one accord, cried out in faith to God for revival and awakening. Imagine if our prayers for a move of God, prayed in faith, stopped the Lord Jesus right in His tracks. And the Lord Jesus, as Psalm 34, 6 says, the poor man cried and the Lord heard. So if the Lord Jesus hears, sent a special move of the Holy Spirit upon our church. Listen, I'll go on the record with this. I believe God's going to do it. I believe God's going to do it. I believe that God will move in our Stand Firm Conference. Those in attendance will witness a mighty move of God called revival. And we must prepare our hearts for an outpouring of the Spirit of God. I believe that the Lord is going to pierce hearts. I really do. Some for the very, very first time. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to convict others of sin in their life and bring them to a place of genuine repentance and faith in Christ. 
I believe God is going to extend His hand to save. I believe that with all of my heart. And that God is going to heal the brokenhearted. And that God is going to pour out His Spirit. And that this is going to be something very different. Something that we never experienced before. I believe that God is going to move as He did in the 1940s on the Isle of Lewis when the Reverend Duncan Campbell preached from Isaiah 64.1 Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at thy presence and revival broke out in that tiny island off the coast of Scotland. I believe that the Lord is going to move just like He did in the 1850s in New York City with Jeremiah Lamphere and the businessman's noonday lunch hour that spread revival all over the United States, of whom, by the way, D.L. Moody was a portion. Don't be like those in the crowd. Don't be negative with your fears and doubts and say, no, 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 this is not going to happen, this is not going to happen. Oh, church, that we would turn our hearts to God. That we would turn our hearts to God and to Christ and repent. Listen, now is the time to prepare our hearts for the Lord. For a move of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 50 and 51. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus in answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do? And the blind man said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. Listen, the, the cry of faith in Bartimaeus received a righteous response from the Master. You see this? The ones who the crowd was telling to be quiet, he's the one heard from Christ. And this blind beggar forsakes everything. He forsakes everything to get to Jesus. Note that the Word of God says there, casting aside his cloak. You know what the cloak was? So everybody, everybody had like a, a linen long shirt that they wore. The cloak was the one you put on afterward to keep you warm. Realistically, in Bartimaeus' life as a blind beggar, that's probably the only thing he really owned was that cloak. And the Word of God makes it a point to say He cast it aside. He cast aside the only thing that had value to Him, the only thing that He owned. Why did He cast it aside? Because He was more desperate for Christ than He was for His own physical warmth. And you know why? And this is incredible. Because Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus had an appointment with the Son of God. Why worry about an old cloak when I can come into the presence of the Almighty Son of God? Bartimaeus, his, his story, his heart tells us so much about genuine faith in Christ. What holds us back from coming to the Lord? What holds us back? What possession deters us from complete surrender to the Master? Let it go. Church, let it go. Whatever it is 
jump up like Bartimaeus and come to Christ. Here we see that the Lord, Jesus Christ, asked Bartimaeus, what can he do for him? Jesus knew what he could do for him. But again, it's the cry of faith. He says, what can I do for you? To which Bartimaeus replies, very simply, hey, I want my sight. I want my sight. You know, previously in, in, in chapter 10 and verse 36, James and John approach Jesus with a very similar thing, and the Lord says, well, what do you want? And James and John says, oh, promise us that in the future glory, one is going to sit on your right, one is going to sit on your left. It's amazing. The sons of thunder, James, of John, James and John, were all concerned about their own glory and future. Here is the blind man, and Jesus says, what can I do for you? And he said, Lord, give me my sight. Give me my sight. Bartimaeus asked for his sight. But here's something that's really interesting in the text. We should note that Jesus is not merely going to do something for Bartimaeus. Instead, our Lord is going to do something with Bartimaeus for the glory of God. And he's going to reward his faith. Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. This simple sentence, two sentences appear very simple, but they're rather profound. When Bartimaeus humbly requested his sight, the Lord granted him his healing. We all say amen to that? The Lord granted him his healing. And he could see again. And the desperate faith of Bartimaeus touched the very heart of Jesus. Of this faith, the Lord makes this statement. Go, your faith has made you well. I want you to circle that word well. Because it's a very interesting word. In the Greek, the word used for well here is sozo. Sozo. It is the same word used for saved. The same word. It literally means to deliver out of danger. And it's used in the New Testament of God rescuing believers from the penalty and the power of sin. That's salvation. That's salvation, right? It's the exact word for saving faith. Something more was happening to Bartimaeus. Something more was happening to Bartimaeus. Not only was he physically healed, but he was spiritually healed. Bartimaeus was saved as a result of his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saved. And consequently, he was saved. He got his sight back. How do we know this? Is this speculation on my part? Well, take a look at the rest of the text. And immediately, he regained his sight. There's the healing. 
But something else happened. And he began following him on the road. He began following Jesus on the road. He forsook everything he had and he decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. This blind, marginalized beggar, this guy who Jesus encounters sitting on the road crying out for mercy, the cry of faith reaches the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ rewards his faith by what? By healing him, but more importantly, by saving his soul. And Bartimaeus is changed. And he's no longer sitting there going, oh great, I could see, now let me go get a job. No, Bartimaeus is changed. His whole life is changed. And he gets up and he follows Jesus. Bartimaeus took up his cross. He denied himself and went and he followed Christ. The man sitting is no longer sitting. He's moving. The man marginalized is no longer marginalized. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. The man who was lost is now found and saved. And he's following Jesus on the road. Now what was the catalyst? Bartimaeus was desperate for Christ. You know, as Jesus, he follows Christ and he doesn't go into any kind of, he doesn't say go to synagogue and start learning the Torah. He got up and he followed Christ. Why? For thou have the words of life. To whom shall we go? Isn't it amazing he's saved and he instantly knows that? Why? Because he's regenerated. He's born again. He's a new man in Christ. Could you imagine the testimonies? Hey, I'd like to introduce you to Bartimaeus. Yeah, I was blind for X amount of years. The Lord Jesus saw me sitting on the side of the road. I cried out, have mercy. He said, what do you want? I said, hey, can you give me my eyesight? He gave me my eyesight, and I was saved and changed. And I love the Lord, and I'm going to follow him to the day I die. It's the same way we need to be desperate for revival. Not intellectually to speak of revival. Desperate for a move of God. Desperate for a move of God. Jesus made this statement in John 7, 38. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living, living water. Not stagnant water. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. We know this. But it's living water. Church, like Bartimaeus, we must cry out to God in faith. We need to believe that the Lord hears the cries of faith. And we must pray in faith and not doubt for a move of God's Spirit. We need Holy Spirit power. We need Holy Spirit power. I don't know a church that doesn't need Holy Spirit power. We have great videos. We have great books. We have great seminaries. We have great Christian colleges. We have great Christian shows. Great Christian music. But oh, how badly is the power of God missing in the church today? 
Our Stand Firm conference is 18 days away. And listen, I'm fully aware that there may be some of you here that don't believe a word of what I'm saying and I'm preaching about today. I pray for you. I pray you will have a desire like Bartimaeus, a desperation like Bartimaeus, and a determination for Christ to move in your life and in the church. Acts 4, which is a life-changing chapter in my life. Acts 4.32 says this, speaking of the disciples after they were released and being warned by the Sanhedrin. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. This could be us. This could be us. This could be us before the Stand Firm Conference. This could be us during the Stand Firm Conference. And this could be us after the Stand Firm Conference. That we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we would speak the Word of God with all boldness. So the question is, will you pray for our church's greatest need? A genuine revival. Let's go to Lord in prayer.